Welcome to the Rooted in Change podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Jan, and you're listening to the Rooted in Change podcast. This show features European clean tech champions and their solutions to tackle the climate crisis. Today, I'm joined by Priya, one of the co-founders and the COO of PlanBoo. PlanBoo is a biochar carbon removal company working with climate-conscious businesses, farmers, land stewards, and biochar producers. We'll learn more about this technology to remove carbon in just a minute. Welcome, Priya. Thanks, Jan. Really happy to be here. And I'm happy to have you. As with all other guests, my first question is always tell me a bit about your background. Who are you as a person and what led you to founding PlanBoo? Great. So um, my name is Priya. I am originally from the UK, although I have ancestral background, both from India, Ireland and the UK. And I think it's that intersection of cultures which has really been driving me, um, both both through my like, personal and professional uh, endeavours, really. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a background in socio-environmental development. So I've worked for a range of different institutions from uh, international non-governmental organizations, supporting smallholder farmers and women cooperatives in Ethiopia, and whilst also looking at disaster relief. Um, so I was in Nepal uh, in 2016 after the 2015 earthquake there. Right. Reconstruction project. And now we could actually look at um, building back the city of Kathmandu, um, whilst also making it climate resilient for future natural disasters. I'm using quotation marks there because they're not necessarily naturally induced. They yeah. are human induced, um, but also looking at how we could reconstruct Kathmandu in a way that would support people and the heritage and the culture there. So these kind of areas have always been driving me, which is the intersection of the worlds of which I am culturally part of, um, and also the ways in which climate change affects different areas of the world differently and the people in it as well. And that's been a big um, foundation really for um, the formation of Bamboo. Super exciting background. And I guess one that you don't hear that often about in clean tech and climate tech is, you know, a lot of people straight come out of engineering degrees to sort of find a tech solution to, to tackle the climate crisis. And as you've just mentioned, Flambu, then what's the idea behind the company? Where does biochar come in? Great. Yeah, so, I mean, essentially at Flambu, we are scaling biochar carbon removal in tropical regions. And we do this by combining essentially what is an ancient agricultural practice with modern day technology. So I'll break that down. So we provide the tools and the training and the tech that enables landowners and projects in tropical regions to turn their plant waste, be it cinnamon, bamboo, rubber, and others, into biochar. So biochar is a carbon-rich substance, um, which you can then apply into soils. Um, biochar looks like charcoal, um, big black pieces <laughs> that mm -hmm. leave dark marks all over your hands when you touch it, and, right. and it has similar properties. However, when cooked under the right conditions, um, it's actually an IPCC, so an Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, approved way to permanently, or at least for very long periods of time, remove carbon from the atmosphere. We're talking between like hundreds to thousands of years, depending on the soil application. And what Plambu is really looking to do is how we can track in a digital scalable way that this biochar production and application into the soils is taking place. So we came up with a solution it's our digital MRV, measuring, reporting, and verification. So this technology, which we can get into a bit more later, is essentially what allows us to 
generate internationally certified carbon removal credits. And these are the credits which we can sell to buyers in the voluntary carbon market. And these buyers are usually ones who have said, look, we want to reach net zero. We want to do something about our own climate targets. Um, and to do that, this MRV piece, this data gathering is key. It's the cornerstone of any solid carbon removal um, project. So we sell these credits and then we share the revenue back with the landowner in the tropics um, right. with the intention of directing carbon finance to areas of the world that are, to be honest, almost worst affected by climate change. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's not us here in Europe who will suffer from the severest conflict consequences. Exactly. Let's look a bit more at biochar as a form of carbon removal, because from my perspective, a lot of media attention is sort of on, when it comes to carbon removal technologies, on sort of direct air capture and big machines to... Um, suck out the CO2 out of the air and sort of turn it then into substances, uh, press it underground and so on. But why biochar and where does it all fit into the sort of landscape of carbon removal technologies? Good question. There are many emerging technologies and different solutions mm -hmm. out of carbon removal. Biochar is just one, but it is one that is proven first and foremost as in it, it hasn't had to go through lab testing, conceptual trials. There is research which has been done and needs to further be done in order to actually be able to um, yeah, quantify and further qualify um, the different types of soils and different use cases. It can also be applied um, into cement as another use case. So there is still ongoing evolutions required with biochar. But as a, as a carbon removal solution, it's ready to go now, uh, which makes it highly scalable and that all you really need is the biomass that comes from plants, agricultural waste in, in, in Plambu's case in some of our projects. Um, and then you need to have the machinery to be able to cook it under certain conditions. So with that in mind, if we look at just areas of the globe, for example, the tropics where we have an abundance of sunlight, we've got great climatic conditions for now. Um, yeah. And plants that are being harvested and waste that otherwise wouldn't be sold into commodity markets and for food production, then we've got all of the ingredients there. We've also got the people, farmers and the landowners who are willing. And I think that's a really key thing as well. Um, do we have the buy-in from the, the right stakeholders in mind? So that was Plambu's kind of um, like investigation. We were able mm -hmm. to see areas of the world where there is so much biomass and the people that are ready to, to take on that endeavor. And so the scalability of it is a huge thing in that we don't have to wait for those lab you know, reports to come out. It, it's ready to go now. And so right. when we look at kind of the time that we have available to, to remove as much CO2 as possible to reach the, I think it's six to 10 ton, billion tons or gigatons every single year by 2050. Um, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do and, and biochar is just one of the ways that can really kind of expedite and get us to that. Just sort of on the practical note, how hard is it for the local people on the ground to actually turn the biomass into biochar because you said you know cooking it under the right conditions but as you also mentioned you know it's something that's been around for such a long time so are we talking about a process that's rather easy to learn and thereby really scalable compared to again sort of what i always have in mind the high tech tech components that lead a lot of maintenance trade personnel takes forever to build them 
test them on the ground. So sort of where, how do you see those differences? How does that work in practice for biotech? Right. So, I mean, introducing any new practice into the agricultural space is is a task. Sure. Um, in, you know, there are certain traditions and certain practices that have been used for many years, um, from traditional agriculture, but even to modern day agriculture now. Um, you know, there is with chemical inputs, things like fertilizers, there are margins and and you know, deals and contracts to be taken into consideration. So it's not just a case of overnight saying, right, let's transform completely how you do things. That being said, um, biochar, it, it is available in that we don't have to, as you say, construct um, mm-hmm. a huge plant or factory there on site. Um, but I think the way that it needs to be done is it needs to add value for the landowner in, in a right. monetary sense, but also in a way that can they see the benefit of it beyond the carbon removal. So one piece of the puzzle is the carbon finance, which is helping to actually finance and subsidize the cost of the biochar production. The other thing is the the physical biochar. It's an asset itself, um, because when it's charged with compost, local organic fertilizers, you know, it could be cow manure, chicken, urine, anything like this that is kind of locally available. When you charge that with the biochar, um, you have an, an amazing product, which um, has been proven to support the repairing and the restoring of degraded soils. So that's what we're seeing with some of the projects we work in. They are equally as interested in how they can actually develop their own in-house um, soil amendment. We, we don't go as far as calling it a fertilizer, mm-hmm. but what it can do is when applied to, into the soil, um, do things like improve the water holding capacity. Right. So it does have added benefits sort of beyond, beyond the carbon removal, really exactly. helping the land. And yeah, productivity very much so um from as from yield production but also looking at microbial content within the soil mm-hmm. ph balance these things which have essentially been stripped away from over agricultural yeah. practices also inputs the mpk fertilizers things like that our soils globally are crying out for some love and some support and and biochar especially when charged with a co-compost um can offer that and yeah, that's wonderful to hear then let's go back to Flambrew and really your technology, because you mentioned obviously sort of that you bring the tech component to it. So let's dive a bit more into this. How does that work in practice? Especially mm-hmm. also, I guess, because you're then targeting such a hyper-local market with a lot of farmers on the ground, you know, with um, a highly distributed target audience in, in that case. Yeah. So, yeah, so the technology is for us really centered around trust and transparency. So that's really, we know we're on a mission to scale carbon removal uh, with biochar throughout the tropics. But at the same time, that should be also bringing trust back into carbon markets, which um, you may be familiar with, Jan, are pretty criticized globally, more uh, like in, in most recent years as well, since 2022, we saw... Yeah. Yeah, a number of um, articles and pieces that came out, which were essentially exposing large traditional uh, protocols for not really accrediting projects in the right way. And so buyers were buying carbon credits and then finding out that they weren't actually being delivered. Mm. So that had a global impact on all of us, on players that have been in the space for a while, but new ones trying to come in that already carbon credits were a little bit divisive. And now um, they've kind of, that, that also... Is, has been exaggerated. So we have one or two options. One is to say, well, we'll finally, we'll, we'll build uh, a completely different version of carbon credits. 
or we have the opportunity to take a mechanism that is there, that is flawed for sure, uh, and do it better. And so part of our technology, well, our technology really fundamentally is to do that. So as a buyer, say you were trying to buy carbon removal credits from us at Plambu, um, and you like the idea of the projects that we work in, and then I say, okay, yeah, I'll sell you 100, 100 tons of carbon remove, removal. And then you say, great, and how do I know? Right, like you can take my word for it, but I think what's yeah. going to stand for a lot more is being able to actually show an evidence that carbon removal is taking place. So the technology that we build enables that. We have hardware and software. And these two kind of, they bring in two different data streams, which are independent from one another, but they corroborate that quality biochar production, like that biochar mixing with compost and biochar application is taking place when and at what volumes we say it is. Right, and I guess that really solves the the trust issue that you also mentioned with the carbon credits, because I think when the reporting came out last year, and I think it was especially around sort of reforestation projects, um, where you said, uh, or protecting rainforest uh, and massively overestimating the impact there, that was really the case, right, to say, look, uh, well, people have been paying for this carbon credit and sort of the, the climate impact there uh, that might have been massively overestimated and i think what you're then bringing to the table is saying yeah well you still might have a trust issue around carbon credits but we're giving you data that allows you to really look into the impact that we're making and biochar is our solution and we're combining hardware data and software data points here absolutely and trying to actually go above and beyond even what maybe some European um, MRV, you know, tech companies would do, because we recognize that the areas of the world that we work in too, they're very far away. Most of our buyers are sitting in Europe or North America, and we're talking about removing tons of CO2 in Thailand, in Namibia. What we're actually seeing is like, well, well, let's go above and beyond. Let's provide as much data as possible. And let's actually translate that into sharing the story. Mm -hmm. So of the project on the ground the story of each ton of co2 it does have a story you know there's been people and the environment behind that that actually contributes to the development of all of these credits so we want to be able to utilize that data um, and actually share the stories of of the people and and the places on the ground and in preparing for this episode i also read that you actually are on the ground quite a lot so what i what i like about your story is that it's not just this European centered business saying, you know, we're going to do good in sort of regions that are most affected by climate change, that, but we're actually on the ground supporting people there and driving that change there. Like maybe you can give a bit more background on how that actually works. Yeah. I mean, so we, we made a decision in November 2021. Um, we were living fairly um, comfortable lives in Stockholm and Sweden. Um, and we realized we had an opportunity now. This was actually slightly ahead of the curve. There weren't that many biochar companies around, let alone in tropical regions. Um, and this was on the tail end of, of COVID. And even though people were working on Zoom and online we, to, to create that kind of touch point and that um, connection with the landowners and the farmers uh, in the first pilot project that we had was proving really difficult. So we relocated to Sri Lanka, um, which is where our first projects have been activated and have been underway. Um, and we basically did it from the ground up in that it was manual. So before we had the digital uh, MRV, the digital solution, it was all done by paper. And then we upgraded to WhatsApp. And then we basically had to map right. out the whole thing by hand to understand well, where are the bottlenecks? Where are the challenges here? 
where are the points that need unlocking for us to actually understand how we can create like a, a full value chain solution. Um, and that's what we did um, as a founding team. And we've been really fortunate that we've had an incredible yeah, number of other people who have joined us in that endeavor as well. So we've been living this kind of dual existence of coming back to Europe to see friends and family and loved ones, but then also, yeah, staying out there for six months because it's that closeness. As we can be as digital as we want, but we we can't ever really match um, the quality and the richness of, you know, being in person, human to human. And I think that stands even for tech startups to um, being able to actually know who are your clients, what are their problems. And if you have the opportunity to meet them and sit with them, I think it makes a world of difference. Yeah. And I think especially when you're operating in a field such as yours, where you have so many different stakeholders to attend to. So you mentioned before that the people buying the carbon credits are mostly located in Europe and, and the US, and that's a very different target audience compared to the actual people on the ground that would create those carbon credits and would you know, be involved uh, with the physical biochar. And those almost two separate worlds need attention. I think also it links back to me for what we discussed before around the trust. So if you really understand how the biochar production on the ground works and how you're able to train people to do to follow the process right and to make sure that well the, the data that you'll then that you would be seeing is correct and can be trusted then you're able to create something really powerful and i think that understanding and that granularity you're absolutely right can't be achieved over zoom and is even more important as we've now seen that there were trust issues i guess in the industry that might have been known for longer no one really talked about them but i think sort of having that approach right from the start and building the company the way you explained it, sort of, you know, getting your hands dirty as well and building it from the manual process to scaling via WhatsApp and then finding more and more digital ways into it. I think that's the really important part of getting it right there. Yeah. And this, I think building that trust, not only for the buyers, but for the projects, you know, it's that yeah. trust phase. And I think that's really at the core of, um, of, of everything at Plan B. One of our leading values is it should be win-win. So if it's right. a win a win for a project then that's not a win it's, you know it's, it's got to actually resonate across um across people and planet great well now we looked a bit at sort of where you started let's look at how far you've come so since the inception of the company um what's been the journey so far yeah so i mean well we now have four projects that are activated um and that's two in sri lanka one in Malawi and our newest and biggest yet uh, in Thailand. So the supply team recently went out three weeks ago to Thailand to initiate this project, which entails um, yeah, going through a five-day kind of intensive um, training with the project personnel there on the ground. Um, and then yeah, culminating in in sort of the the final day where credits are then being uh, actively generated and it shouldn't stop from that point. Um, so yeah, the team recently came back and felt very confident that um, that the, the project over in Thailand um, really value um, what we're what we've shared with them. And so moving forward, they will be using both the, the hardware and the software and to generate up to five thousand five hundred credits in the next twelve months. Um, so just to touch back on that, so one credit equals one ton of CO two that's been removed. So already that's 5,500 credits just in 12 months. Um, 
And then the next project that we're looking to activate will be our biggest one even still, and that's in Namibia. This one has been in the pipeline for a while. Um, it's got slightly different context to the others in that it's um, the feedstock, the plant biomass that we're using, comes from an invasive encroaching bush. So Namibia has been struck with an environmental ecological, which translates as an economic challenge as well for many years in that through um, overgrazing and different agricultural um, ways of using the land, the original savannah has been overrun by a type of encroaching bush. Um, and so the government and stakeholders throughout the country are looking for ways they can actually get rid of this bush. Um, and one of the ways is that we can turn it into biochar. Um, and then with that biochar, utilize it to even restore the savannah back to its original condition. So given the scale of the problem, um, because it covers most of the surface area of the country, it's right. um, It's taking longer for us to activate, but we feel really confident that this could have massive impact. Yeah, I can imagine. Um especially as we're talking sort of about the geographical uh, scales here. Yeah. And I mean, as we just mentioned scale as well, where do you want to go in terms of your ambition? How how much CO2 ultimately do you want to re remove per year? Or sort of what, where, where's your vision? Yeah, I mean, we would aim for a gigaton shot, you know, if, if we can, because it feels as though this is just gaining momentum. So we're aiming for as big as we can, but we're also rooted in what is realistic and what is feasible. And so our ambition yeah. in the next three to five years is to be able to distribute our technology, our MRV, which is what then enables more and more projects to come on board um, throughout tropical regions. We have been contacted with by projects all over the world, um, yeah. which is fantastic. Um, what we're needing to do is putting them through a very rigorous kind of screening process to understand um, who we can move forward with today uh, versus who might be in six months or 12 months or so. Um, and then, yeah, the ambition is to, our, our leading metric, let's say our North Star is tons of CO2 removed. Um, and if we can do that in as quick a time possible, whilst also ensuring that we're not doing harm in, in other ways, whether that's to local biodiversity and to communities and things like that, then that's what we're striving for. So yeah, the, the ambition is to, is to draw down as much CO2 as possible from projects throughout the world. A wonderful to hear. I'm really motivated by your North Star. Let's look a bit at the challenges as well. I mean, I guess one of the challenges I would assume from looking at your team setup at your your business in general is sort of that, well, that scale right from the start, but also that geographical spread um and you know you you just mentioned before uh sort of living in the two worlds of uh, spending time on the ground and then coming back to your loved ones friends family and so on and i guess building a company in that stretched setup is difficult um how did you manage how did you manage that and the other part obviously is what other challenges did you encounter on your way It was a challenge for sure to live in the kind of half the year in one place, half the year in the other. That being said, um, where we have been located in Sri Lanka is an incredible place to be. And uh, I don't know if you've been yourself, yeah, but I really I haven't. Or, no. um, you know, for yourself and your family as well, it's super family-friendly place to be. Right. The people are just incredible. Um, and so there was also the sense of we are doing our best 
uh, in every way to kind of contribute to the change we want to see in tackling climate change and and global inequality. Does that mean we can't have fun at the same mm. time? No. Right. <laughs> Myself and Freddie, um, who's my co-founder and the CEO, we actually met surfing in Sri Lanka right. in 2016. And Freddie and Mark had lived there themselves for three years and one year respectively. Uh, many years ago, they were both working on a um, eco hotel um, project in Yala National Park. So actually in the in the jungle area of the east of the island. Um, and it was an award-winning hotel that they built out of bamboo with a team of 150 workers. And so they were deeply connected to the land too. So when we thought about the, kind of how things could come together, we have a network there. It's a really affordable place to live. We're close to the projects on the ground and we get to surf. It was kind of a no-brainer. So um, yeah, I think that's also been a key part of why we are motivated to carry on in the way we have been is that it's tough um, and it can be really doom and gloom as well. A lot of us working in the climate space, like it's so vast sometimes. Yeah. And, so and the challenge that we're tackling is so big, right? I mean, you just said that your vision is to, well, remove as much CO2 as possible. And yet there's, you mentioned before, sort of gigatons that we're talking about. So that's such an enormous quantity that needs to be tackled and sometimes progress feels slow and it's it's a marathon right it's not a sprint so we are moving as fast as we can um but by being in sri lanka you're you're even closer to the land you know by when we get to surf and we get to live in this uh, beautiful place where there's wonderful veggies and and products growing all around you that the land is so rich and fertile there it makes it kind of all the more real uh, why we want to do what we do because we're preserving this incredible nature around it. I guess really having that connection to nature is one key motivation um, for a lot of people whenever they're exposed and maybe moving outside of the big cities that a number of us and also the people listening to that podcast here uh, used to live in or are living in. Um, it's that it's then you realize really why we're doing at the jobs that we are and spending all these hours uh, trying to tackle the big challenges ahead of us. And it's um, that to circle back to your question before, when you talk about the other challenges, that is one of them in that not everybody feels that way, you know, um, and coming back to Europe when we live the other part of the life that we do, it's the education and the awareness that we're faced with that is this still has a long, long way to go. So we really thought in November, 2021, if we make the carbon removal, if we do the removals and we make the best, highest quality integrity credits, they will sell because there was this big um, kind of explosion in demand right. in 2021. Um, and it was the Microsofts and the Klarners and the Shopify's who were saying like, yes, we're going to really get on board with um, our net zero targets and start doing something huge about it. And a, and a couple of really big transactions came through. And then we've seen, okay, what is this market actually going to look like? The realities of it is that after the Vera and the gold standards and these um, these articles that we were talking about came out, things took a bit of a shake. And now we're understanding yeah, quite it. Quite a shake, yeah. Fold. And they didn't just buy. Uh, sorry, right. they didn't. Our credits didn't just sell straight away. Right. Um, we've really had to put the work in to understand who um, those buyers are, at what stratum, at what industries they work in. Um, we have a lot of um, interest, but these buyers have, you know, historically been looking at the cheapest types of um, right. carbon re- carbon reduction credits, 
Um, so they know what carbon credits are largely, but um, there is some confusion of what the difference between carbon removal is and, and carbon reduction. And carbon removal is more expensive. It, it naturally costs more to reduce CO2 that is already up there in the atmosphere rather than avoiding it going out there in the first place. Like just the process and the infrastructure required to actually go into the atmosphere and, and, and take it out and, and store it out um, means that the production costs for those carbon credits are naturally higher. But the awareness raising um, is, is still catching up to the levels that we need it to be at um, for us to then uh, be able to scale uh, to the amount of carbon removal that's required. So that's one of the big challenge that we found. Right. What, from your experience, was most helpful in shaping that additional awareness? And what convinced potential buyers of investing into carbon carbon removal credits, not carbon reduction credits? Yeah, I mean, I would love to say that buyers um, care as much as we do um, right. about things like the additional benefits um, on the land and the people. And some buyers do. They are really driven by that. But the reality is it's the carbon markets and those markets are driven by price points. Um, and so when we're talking about volumes and looking at how um, the carbon market is set to change, which the price of carbon will go up and up and up, um, then buyers who are quite savvy are already thinking, okay, well, if I lock in um, the carbon roof that we'll need now to future-proof our business, then I would like to lock that in at a rate um, today. Right. So there really is, it's largely around price negotiation. Um, and then the other things such as, um, are you able to show that this project is really additional? Uh, meaning that would that carbon removal have taken place if you were, if Plan B wasn't doing what they were doing? So are you able to then evidence that? Are you able to evidence that the CO2 will stay out of the ground? So in terms of durability, that's an important one too. Um, and then things like, does it have a positive impact on the area, on the communities? These are other criteria which buyers are interested in. But I think it's fair to say that does come secondary to ensuring that the price is right. And at, at the same time, I mean, a lot of our conversation today centered around the the trust in the market. Maybe that will become more important to not just look at price and say, look, with scale, often comes a more affordable price, but then also the quality of the actual credits that you're purchasing. And with more and more companies introducing ambitious ESG targets to say, hmm, you know, it's not just the actual carbon removal that you're doing, but it has a wider impact on the societies, the communities on the ground. And, you know, where, where the benefits of lies sort of in the, what you described before, the added benefits that your way of doing it and the biochar way of doing it provides in, in terms of increasing the productivity of the land again, enriching soils and so on. Exactly. As long as that we're fixed on company net zero targets rather than awareness of a global net zero, there will be limitations in that way. Um, and I think part of that is also looking beyond carbon removal. Um, and I know that there are a few leaders in that regard. Um, for example, Klarna and Milky Way, the Swedish companies that you may be familiar with, are real strong advocates for that, which is invest in climate action projects that you know go beyond um, the carbon credit itself, yes, you can utilize that against your net zero targets, um, but also supporting projects that are looking to have a wider impact. This was uh, really insightful. Looking ahead, where do you think Plan Boo will be in three to five years? What will you have achieved? What's, what are your plans? I mean, we want to, as I said before, focus on drawing as much CO2 out of the atmosphere yeah. as possible. 
Um, biochar has the potential to draw billions of tons of CO2 and Plambu has been pioneering in that space in the tropics. Um, our solution is one that can be biomass agnostic. This means that we don't need to be restricted to one area of the world or one type of plant biomass feedstock. Um, and so it's actually being able to work with different regions of the world um, with waste product um, that would otherwise be disregarded or and eventually the CO2 be released back into the atmosphere. So the ambition is to be able to really scale this globally um, and the tropics we think have a huge potential. In three to five years, I think we will continue to be a leader in that regard, um, both in the way of retailing carbon removal credits, but also with the provision of the technology. Um, so that would be kind of the next stage of what Plambu is doing with what we call our green box, which is our hardware, which is the, um, the piece of equipment that sits on the side of every single kiln that's recording that biochar production is taking place. Like this, this technology with a smartphone application can be utilized for other projects throughout the world. We don't want to hold others back in that way. So we can utilize it for our own projects, but other biochar players coming into to the space that say, look, we also want to be able to build this trust and transparency. Our technology, the ambition is for that to be available for projects across the world to utilize as well, to contribute to the scale. Um, so I see that as being um, yeah, a strong future for us. And continuing to grow the team um, in a way that is important to us, which is to be a regenerative business. Um, and and that, that starts from everything, kind of from the, the foundations of the company, the values, the way that we um, value things like emotional intelligence within the team. You know, every morning uh, on Monday, uh, every week, sorry, on Monday, we come together and we do, you know, a drop-in meditation and we kind of root into the reason why we started this in the first place so as to not lose sight of it. And then we choose one of the values um, that were co-created by the team to embody and to like keep alive with us throughout the, the week. And then on Fridays, we come together and we look at the wins and the blockages uh, on a personal individual level, as well as a company level that we faced. And then we give each other shout outs on how we've seen, okay, this week, yeah, and I really saw that you were embodying you know, this value. And it's these things which I think are an important indicator of a group of people that don't only want to tackle climate change, but also recognize that the change has to come from within as well. Um, so yeah, I think we'll continue to, to, to move that way. And I hope we can inspire others to, to follow suit. I really like that, that it's more than just a technological solution being rolled out globally and sort of a, you know, another hardware, another software play to reduce carbon emissions. That's, that is important, but I think the way you look at it is, a lot more holistically that it starts with people both on the ground but also your team uh your your customers buying the current credits and really doing that education part but also that caring part for uh for the planet the people um to make that difference i, I really like that i would like to close with one question although i feel i already have partly the answer but i would still love to give you the opportunity to um bring us home with that one which is the fact that what keeps you going? I mean, you know, we talked about the challenges challenges, and you also shared your experience of being on the ground and combining uh, the surf with living in the land and, you know, sort of seeing the direct um, impact of your work. Is, is that really what keeps you motivated to tackle that challenge? Because obviously running a uh, founding and running a startup is, is tough and, you know, requires a lot of hard work and dedication to it. Um, so, yeah, what is it that keeps you 
get up in the morning, uh, show up one day, Monday morning to do that meditation to reconnect with your team, the values of the company. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 a lot to do with the team of people. Um, I really believe that what you put out kind of mirrors back in that way. Um, and it was for some time, my, only myself, Freddie and Mark, um, our third co-founder and friend. And that was fantastic. We were able to quite intimately build this in a way, and it was, you know, we could make decisions quickly. And But we soon realized, as many people, uh, entrepreneurs building companies will see, you can't do it alone. Um, and just the people who started reaching out to us, um, we were kind of blown away. We were seeing like, okay, you can actually take our vision and and, and take it to new heights. Um, and that inspires me as being with a group of people that I listen to them share. And I'm thinking, and I'm inspired by them. You know, by by their abilities to think outside the box um, and and to really action things and get things done, um, and all of us are values driven to begin with. So it really makes a difference showing up to work, um, where you all deeply care. Um, yeah, it really does. It's a better place than when we found it. Um, yeah. And that's kind of a simple. It boils down to that: is right. we feel that we are in a position, a privileged position, um, to kind of be stewards of the planet and. I don't think there's any other way any of us would, would want to spend our time. No better way to end this episode. I really enjoyed that conversation and uh, good luck with, uh, well, removing as much CO2 as possible, I guess, for all our benefits. And I'm looking forward to seeing Plambu grow and thrive. Thank you so much for today's time. Thank you so much for having me and giving us a chance to share. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.